So for several weeks now, I've been telling you stories about uh, my relationship with this church, with Grace Bible Church. And I've been walking you through different episodes and stories in my life and how when Hannah and I were first married, we attended church here at Grace. How we lived in a two-bedroom apartment near North Park Mall that now has a dent in the gutter because I can't drive a U-Haul. I told you stories of how I was put on a glorious weight gain plan where I had every single day a root beer float that then became a problem because I sweat a lot in my sleep and I began to stink because of it. I told you last week how I passed this propensity to sweat onto my son Judah along with other characteristics. And I've told you all of these stories and I've won your affections. <laughs> and you're gonna need to keep that in mind, how much you love me, as we turn our attention now to a fairly difficult passage in the book of Ephesians. I want you to open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter five. And this week as I've been working through Ephesians, uh, I was reminded many times of just how integral Grace Bible Church has been in my own marriage. Some of you know that the very first time I remember seeing my wife, Hannah, was just at the intersection down the road at North Haven and the Tollway. Um, I was northbound at that stop sign, and my wife was in a blue Volvo going eastbound. I think they were leaving first service, I was arriving for the second service, and I remember that was the first time I laid eyes on the woman who is now my wife. I remember she was laughing as I saw her through uh, the window. She was in a blue Volvo that was being driven by another man whom I now know to be my brother-in-law, thankfully. But that was the first time I remember seeing Hannah. And since we've been back here in Dallas, every time I pass that intersection, that's what comes to mind. And in preparation for this morning's passage, I've remembered how grateful I am to take a trip down memory lane from time to time, especially when it comes to marriage. Because if you're married, if you're here this morning and you're married, you know how difficult sometimes marriage can be. And uh, before we jump into the text, I do want to say that, uh, you know, as a pastor, I realize how sensitive a topic like this can be. I recognize that there are some people in this room uh, that this is a painful subject because Maybe you're not married, but you want to be. Or you were married, but now you're divorced or your spouse has died. Or maybe you're in a marriage that's struggling. And so recognizing all of that, I want to uh, simply say that my goal here this morning, as we jump into this passage, it's not to be politically correct, but my aim truly is to be biblically correct. And I hope you'll give me that. I've heard that a number of years ago, Dr. Honer, who attended here at Grace, when he preached on this passage, he had somebody walk out. So the way I see it, as long as no one walks out this morning, I will have succeeded uh, in this sermon. Uh, but what we see here in Ephesians 5, if you want to grab your outline there on the back side of your worship guide, you can see that I broke down this passage into three main areas. Number one is we're going to take a look at the role of the wife. Paul is presenting here in Ephesians 5, really, our model for marriage, what a Christian marriage should look like. And the first thing we'll see is Paul's command 
to the wife. And we see the role of the wife. That's number one on your outline. The second thing we see is the role of the husband. What part the husband plays in this. And then finally, number three on your outline, Paul kind of summarizes everything and we see just a basic idea of what a model marriage is. So again, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter five and as you're turning there, I wanna give you just a few introductory thoughts. Here in Ephesians five and starting into chapter six, which we'll see next week, Paul enters into a section that's often entitled the household codes. The household codes. And Paul is gonna give very specific instruction of the proper order and arrangement of a home in the first century Greco-Roman world. He's gonna address first, as we'll see today, the role of husband and wife. And then he'll address, as we'll see next week, the role of father and child and of master and slave. But the whole idea here, again, is summarized by this concept of household codes. What you need to understand is that the Apostle Paul was not the first to come up with this idea. Uh, This actually goes all the way back to Aristotle and his work entitled Politics. And, And Aristotle rightly understands that in order for society to function properly, the household has to function properly. And Aristotle talks about the role of husband-wife, of father-child, and of master and slave. Aristotle properly gets it that if society is gonna function properly, the household has to function properly. Now that's about as much as we would agree with Aristotle on this because if you actually take the time to read what Aristotle has to say, you will be offended. Uh, Aristotle has a very low view of women. And so when you understand what Paul is saying here, and you put it in the context of the first century Greco-Roman world, what Paul is saying here is actually not offensive to women at all. He's in fact elevating the position of women. He's speaking into a culture in which women were essentially viewed as property. And the most shocking thing that Paul says this morning is not wives submit to your husbands. But the most shocking thing that Paul says is husbands love your wife. And so when you understand the background and what it is Paul is doing here, there's another very important idea that I want you to understand before we dig into the details. And that is everything we see this morning is built on what Paul said last week. Remember last week at the beginning of chapter five, Paul gives the command to the church in Ephesus that they are to be imitators of God as beloved children. Because of their position in Christ, because of what Jesus has done for them, they're now called to imitate God by walking in love, by walking in light, by walking in wisdom. And it's only those who are walking in light, walking in love, walking in wisdom, who are being filled with the Holy Spirit, have the power to actually do what Paul says for us here today. And so with that background in mind, let's turn our attention to the details now. Number one on your outline, the proper order and arrangement of a home, according to the Apostle Paul, he begins first by addressing the wife. Let me read for you Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Paul says, wives, 
Be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. So in order for the proper order and arrangement of the Christian home, this is Paul's instruction to the wife, the role of the wife. And notice it can really be captured in that one word, the basic command in verse 22, wives be subject to your own husbands. This is a carryover from the previous verse, the command here, be subject to. Paul says, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. The word for submit here, by the way, let's talk about it, the elephant in the room. Uh, The word for submit here says nothing about value or dignity or worth. It says nothing about value or dignity or worth. The word for submit actually means, it carries this idea of placing yourself under someone else's authority, to willingly place yourself underneath someone else's authority. For the proper order and arrangement of a home, wife says, or Paul says, wives, place yourself under the authority, the order and arrangement of your husband. Now, there's a couple other important ideas I want you to see here. Paul says, wives, be subject, notice this, to your own husbands. Place yourself under the authority of your own husbands. Again, Dr. Honer, who I will refer to a number of times, uh, he rightly identifies that Paul is not saying that women must submit to all men. But what Paul is laying out here is that wives are to submit themselves to their own husbands. And then notice the third phrase there in verse 22, as to the Lord. In other words, the wife's submission to her own husband is an extension of her own submission to the Lord. It's a sign of trust that God's order and arrangement of the home is really the best plan. So Paul's command is, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then notice he offers then in verse 23 a comparison. What does this look like? Verse 23 says, for the husband is the head of the wife. And here's the comparison. As Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. And as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. So Paul now lays out this analogy of the wife's submission to her husband is in parallel with the church's submission to Christ. And he explains that Christ is the head of the church. The most common use of the word head here really does describe a person who's in a higher position. Again, it doesn't mean they have higher value or higher worth or higher dignity. It simply means that there is one of higher position. And in the proper order and arrangement of a Christian home, the husband is the head and the wife's to voluntarily submit herself to that head, just like the church does to Christ. 
Another thing I want you to see here is that phrase at the end of verse 24. Paul says, as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. In everything. This is a high calling. This is a tall order. For Paul to say, listen, wives, I want you to submit in everything to the authority and leadership of your husband. Again, Dr. Honer wisely identifies that there are some exceptions to this. A wife is not expected to submit to her husband if what her husband is leading her to do is contrary to the word of God, if it's contrary to her greater authority under Jesus himself. But in the day-to-day things of life, Paul commands the wife, be subject to your husband in everything. This, for the proper order and arrangement of the Christian home, is the role of the wife. Again, I thought about this passage many times this week as I also thought through different memories I have of my marriage and our relationship with this church. Uh, It goes much deeper, by the way, than just seeing Hannah for the first time at this intersection down the road. But the first time I met Hannah was actually at Andy and Julie's house, their old house. Uh, They were having a gathering of young adults. And again, Hannah walks in with this other guy who thankfully I now know to be my brother-in-law. But I can tell you what she was wearing. I can tell you what we talked about at the food line. And I can, I've heard anyway, that there were some who were there who would describe it as love at first sight, that sparks were flying that evening in Andy and Julie's living room. It was, in many ways, love at first sight, or at least love at first interaction, first conversation. I gotta tell you this, by the way, this is off script. This is the nerdiest thing you've ever heard. I apologize for this. I'm actually embarrassed to admit this, Um, but my first attempt at a conversation with her, you got to keep in mind, we were both students at DTS. I asked her what what commentary she was using for her exegetical paper. Is that not the nerdiest thing you've ever heard in your life? But it worked, and so don't judge me. Um, But it was love at first sight, or at least it was warm and fuzzy feelings at first sight and conversation. But if you're here this morning, you'll know that the warm and fuzzies won't sustain a marriage for very long. It takes something much deeper than that, something much purer and richer than warm and fuzzies. It takes love, and it's to that that we now turn our attention as we look at number two on your outline, the role of the husband. Let me read for you. Starting in Ephesians 5, notice Paul's command for the proper order and arrangement of the home. Notice his command to the husband, verse 25. Paul says, husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. And of everything the apostle Paul says here, in the context of the first century Greco-Roman world, this would have been the most shocking thing. For husbands to be commanded to actually love their wives and not treat them like property. Paul commands the husband 
to love his wife. And you're familiar with the word love here. It's the, the word agape. It describes this covenantal love. It describes this sacrificial love, this love that seeks the best of the other party involved. And it's that type of love that Paul says, husbands, I want you to have that type of love for your wife. And then notice he expands on this idea. He elaborates on this idea. He says in verse 25, husband, love your wives. Notice this, the comparison, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul really raises the bar here <laughs> to command husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. To love your wife in a sacrificial way, sparing no cost. Because that's exactly the kind of love that God has for us in sending his son. Listen, I'm going to pause here like I do each and every week and I want, to, I want you to see that what the Apostle Paul says here is rooted in the very gospel itself. The idea that God in his love, even when we were sinners, as Paul says earlier, when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, God in his love sent his son unconditionally to die in your place and in mine. And if you're here this morning, if you're listening to this, whether in person or online, if you don't know that type of love, if you don't know the love that God has for you in Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity where you are to simply trust in him. To know that it's not by anything you do, not by having a perfect marriage, not by pretending to have a perfect marriage, not by turning over a new leaf. It's by nothing you do by which you are forgiven but it's simply and entirely because of what Christ has already done. And if you've never trusted in him, I wanna give you that opportunity now to do that, to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And it's that type of love, that sacrificial love that Paul lays out for the husbands to model in their own love to their wife. Notice again, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And carrying this analogy forward, verse 26, he says, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Here Paul is using this idea, this imagery of on uh, the wedding night, a bride would take a prenuptial bath in preparation for her wedding as a sign of her cleanliness, of her holiness and purity. Paul says, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Then notice verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. This kind of love is the love Paul commands for husbands to have towards their wives. This type of love Jesus has for the church with our ultimate holiness and sanctification in mind. This type of love, notice Paul describes again in verse 27, where he might present the church in all her glory. And then notice the phrase, having no spot or wrinkle, or any such thing. You gotta love this. Literally no blemish or wrinkle. Husbands, you could say, real practically speaking, don't treat your wife in such a way that causes her unnecessary blemishes and wrinkles in life. <laughs> but love her 
as Christ loves the church. When you really take a step back and look at what Paul says here, and again, when you put it in context of the first century Greco-Roman world, what Paul is saying here is a tremendously high calling, a shocking statement giving the culture of the day of how men generally treated women. And knowing that this is such an unattainable idea, Paul next brings it down a little bit more realistically, if you will. Notice what he says in verse 28. He gives another comparison, another analogy. He says, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but notice this, nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church because we're members of his body. So really, when you take a look at what Paul is saying to the husband, not only is it longer in length, but he gives two different points of comparison. He says, men, I want you to love your wife as Christ loved the church, and I also want you to love your wife as you love yourself as you love your own body. You don't hate your own body. You don't mistreat your own body. So why would you mistreat this woman who is one flesh with you? Instead, Paul says, I want you to nourish your wife and cherish your wife. The word for nourish here is used to describe simply providing like the essentials, food and what is necessary for life. I want you to take care of her and give her what she needs. And likewise, cherish your wife. This word, this Greek word is used to describe the affection, the care that mothers often have for their children. And Paul says, husbands, I want you to treat your wife in that same way. For our members of his body, verse 30. So when you take a step back and see what Paul commands here to the husbands, there's really a two-pronged attack, a, true, a two-pronged comparison and analogy. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wife as you love yourself. So when Hannah and I were engaged, we needed a two-pronged attack because we had really two rounds of premarital counseling. We met first with Andy and Julie at their house, and we also met with Nicole Hoffer. Thank you both very much. Apparently, we were in a lot of trouble, and so we needed not one round of premarital counseling, but we needed two. And likewise, here the Apostle Paul gives us husbands really two ideas to grasp. Love your wife as Christ loves the church, and also love your wife as you love yourself. And so these are the basic ideas, the specifics Paul gives to husband and wife. And as we take a look at number three on your outline, where I want to end this message is by uh, highlighting what Paul does. Number three on your outline, he gives us really the model marriage. Because I don't have a perfect marriage. None of us in this room has a perfect marriage. And so to where, to where do we turn if we want to see a perfect example the model marriage for us to model and mirror in our own life. Let's take a look at number three on your outline. Notice what Paul says in verses 31 through 33. Paul says, for this reason, 
A man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Here he's quoting from Genesis chapter 2. Then he says, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. As you've picked up on by now, throughout this passage, Paul is weaving together his analogy of the husband-wife relationship with the Christ and church relationship. And here he really puts that out there uh, plainly. Again, he quotes Genesis chapter two and this idea where God formed together husband and wife into one flesh. And then in verse 32, he says, listen, this is a great mystery and I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. He says, this mystery is great, first of all. Or it's a mega mystery. To again quote Dr. Honer, he explains that what Paul means by this phrase, this is a mega mystery, uh, Paul is stressing its importance. This is mega important, in other words. Remember I told you earlier that Aristotle in politics rightly understands that if society is going to function properly, then the home has to function properly. That's why all of this order and arrangement is necessary. And I think in the same way for families in the church, in the body of Christ, we have to understand the mega importance of what Paul is saying here. If our church is going to function properly, if society is going to function properly, then this is of mega importance. Paul's been weaving together his argument of the role of the husband and the role of the wife and comparing it to Jesus' relationship with the church. And that's really what he nails down there, finally kind of summarizing it in verse 33. Bringing it home, Paul says, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. I appreciate Paul recognizes we may have gotten lost in his analogy. And so verse 33, he spells it out plainly for us. Husbands, love your wife. Wives, respect your husband. It's very simple in theory. But I can tell you as a pastor, I've done a lot of marital counseling now with people in my office and most of the time it boils down to this. Most of the time it boils down to the husband not loving his wife or the wife not respecting her husband. And so what I love about the Apostle Paul is throughout all of his writings, he really gets to the heart of the matter. He gives us practical application, what to do with what he is saying. And so I've done the same for you there on your outline. Boiling it all down to simplicity. There on your outline, I've given you some application questions to consider, but your one thing for this week is this. If you only have time for one thing this week, I would simply ask that if you're a wife, if you're married, how can your submission to your husband be more like your submission to Christ? If you're a husband, how can your love for your wife be more like Christ's love for the church? 
If you're here this morning and you're not married, what I would ask of you in terms of application is that you pray that the marriages in our church would grow and represent Christ well, that our marriages would be modeled after the ultimate marriage we see here in Ephesians 5 of Christ and his church, his bride. So once again, I'm very grateful to be back at Grace Bible Church. It's an honor for me to be your pastor. And as I've explained this morning, uh, this church and those of you in this room have played a very important role in my own marriage. Every time I cross the intersection here at North Haven, I'm reminded of that and the roles uh, that you have played in my marriage. Uh, I don't have a perfect marriage. Hannah will attest to that, as does no one in this room. But my prayer for myself and for you is that the marriages in our church would be built on the model of Christ and his church that we see here in Ephesians 5. And by the grace of God, our marriages can both be a mirror and a model of the ultimate marriage between Christ and the church. Let's pray. Father, uh, first of all, we come and we confess how desperate we are in need of you. Uh, that all of us, even as redeemed, even as believers, we are still by nature selfish. That we think of ourselves. And so we confess, Father, that it's only by your spirit, it's only by the resurrection life of Christ inside of us that we even have a chance to have marriages that mirror and model the relationship of Christ in the church. God, I pray for those in the room right now who are struggling. Who are struggling maybe because their marriage is in trouble. God, I pray that your spirit would empower them to love one another. That you would empower the men to love their wives. That you would empower the women to respect their husbands. And help them, Father, give them the wisdom to reach out for help if they need it. God, I pray for those in this room who are hurting because maybe they've been divorced or their spouse has passed away. I pray that your spirit would comfort them. God, I pray for those in this room who are single and want to be married. I pray that you would comfort their hearts. Bring a godly spouse into their life, we ask. And finally, God, I pray for those of us in this room who are married. That again, only by the power of your spirit would we in our marriages model Christ's love for the church and the church's submission to Christ. God, I pray that in a world that is broken and dark, that our marriages would be a light. That we would even in our marriages be able to give reason, uh, people a reason for the hope that is within us. God, I pray this for myself and for each one here. And I ask in Jesus' name, amen.